Hello and welcome to the Unappreciated Carer podcast with me, your host, Adam. This week we'll be speaking with Vidge Gru, who specialises in leadership coaching, conflict resolution, uh, really all things communication. So yeah, check it out. Let me know what you think. He has so much value to offer us and I know that you're going to love it. So yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing about what you think about this one. Hi, Vidge. How are you doing? I'm very well, Adam. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. Thank you for agreeing to come on and sort of join me on this. Thank you for asking me. I'm thrilled. No, I, I, I was uh, excited to get you on because, uh, well, first of all, I know from personal experience sort of how passionate you are about sort of leadership and, and management. And also, I felt like now was a really good time because uh, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke to a um, uh, uh, registered care manager. So she, she's a... She's a complex care manager for home care, and uh, she and we sort of spoke a lot about sort of the challenges of right, yeah. sort of leadership in in management and stuff like that, and sort of the having the opportunity for personal development and um, yeah, and just you know get getting to have a good chat about that. Right. So it felt like a really good time to sort of um, you know sort of have a good chat. But um, so just Excellent. for those for those of um, as that. Uh, you know, sort of uh, don't know you. Would you mind giving us sort of a little intro in terms of your in, ter in terms of your background? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm Vidge uh, Vidge Grew. Um, I'm currently a uh, a development facilitator, I guess, for want of a better word uh, or phrase. Um, I I've sort of fallen into training and development kind of through a meandering. Uh, career path that uh, started with me studying geology and then doing um, a, a degree in environmental science and uh, then somehow slipping into um, uh, human resources, having done all sorts of things, working in pubs and land surveying and so on. So a very meandering course, yeah. um, uh, a career progression. But uh, I got into training and development in the NHS several years ago, a couple of decades ago, probably, um, uh, in various departments, heading up training and development, mostly in different trusts, and finally ended up um, uh, coordinating um, and managing training and development across the five primary care trusts, as were um, uh, some a decade or so ago, more than that, two decades ago, uh, and then went into various um, jobs in the uh, private sector as well, heading up leadership development, um, and uh, have gone sort of solo probably for the last seven years, but on and off, going skipping back into work and out and into employment and um, into self-employment. Uh, and I'm currently in the phase of self-employment and have been for about seven years. Um, and I guess my uh, interest, my main interest is around um, anything to do with relationship management skills, I guess. That's, that's where, it, where, where my strengths lie yeah. and my passion lies. So that could be anything to do with leadership uh, or teamwork or uh, customer service, uh, anything where relationships um, with people are involved. That's kind of what floats my boat. Um, and, and in particular, leadership. I'd, I'd say I do more leadership than, than most things. 
So it's between all of those. There really, you go. Sort of, it could be a good, a, <laughs> How's that? Is that a good start? As a, a great start, but yeah. But yeah, so between all of those things, then it's sort of very applicable to really any business, just, you know, whether or care or, or not, you know, in terms of leadership and sort of dealing with people and customer service, like you say. But, yeah, I, I fundamentally agree with that. I think that, you know, the issues around leadership, for example, or team building or customer service tend to be the same because people is people is people. I, I fundamentally believe that. And, um, uh, and, it, and it tends to be when you talk to leaders, you know, great leaders and not so great leaders, um, there's commonality in the way that you treat people, I suppose, um, that creates your leadership situations and, and your organisational situations. One of the issues that some care managers have um, is that there can be a, a lack of opportunity for, for them to upskill themselves, whether that be sort of just due to time or, or, or resources. Um, the, the, some of those issues are because local, local authorities have sort of pushed down on um, sort of uh, funding and therefore there's less access to sort of training and stuff like that for themselves and for their team. Um, and also that there is a lot of pressure on care managers time because, you know, although the funding is coming down, the expectations to deliver better and better services is going up uh, from the from the care quality commissioning, the, the government body there. Um, so there's a, there's a real squeeze on yeah. both resources and time. Um, on top of that, there is, you know, sort of, that they are, they're also expected to be great recruiters because we are seeing a sort of a, a smaller pool of care staff now that, that you know, I think um, care, skills for care, their last figures, I think they had 149,000 people leave care um, sort of in 2019, which is a, a, a huge number. Uh, mm. So, you know, you've got to replace those people before you even start taking in, you know, more, you know, so it's, there's a, there's a real problem, you know, where they're trying to recruit and fire, just even doing the daily firefighting. Being able to take a step back. Training and development. Yeah, I, I was just going to say. I mean, as you, you, I think you were just going to say. You know, uh, the opportunity for them to step back and and, and attend to their own personal development yeah. is quite difficult. Um, I'll be honest with you. I'm I'm a little bit cynical <laughs> about that. Yeah. Um, in as in as far as much. Uh, uh, in, in so far as much that I believe that it's easier for people to stick to their patterns of behavior, the way that they're leading, the time that they give themselves, um, uh, than to actually change their patterns and create space and time for themselves to attend to their personal development. Yeah. And I think the care, my view is that particularly in the care, the care sector, you know, people are caring, <laughs> clearly, you know, they're passionate about people and they want to do as much as they possibly can, not just for their patients and, and their clients, but also for their staff. Yeah. And sometimes that spills into doing stuff that actually they shouldn't be doing. And I think, you know, um, when you're a, a really great leader, you are, you are able to create space for yourself in your own development by making sure that you develop relationships with your staff that give them the opportunity to take on stuff that you're probably doing out of habit that actually you should be letting other people do. And if you do that, if you let go um, and focus on, on the leadership elements and the management elements, 
um, rather than maybe getting stuck into um, patient care directly, um, then you then you create time for your own personal development. So uh, clearly, just, there's always going to be tensions. I I understand that it is difficult. Um, just to, just to make sure that I'm I'm understanding um, sort of correctly what point you're making here. So it's it's uh, it's uh, it's just trusting your team to be able to do the role as effectively as yourself and not feeling like, oh, I have to do everything to make sure it's done right. It's, you know, sort of an element of being a great leader is trusting your team to be, and, you know, and sometimes mistakes are going to happen and, you know, and to build from there so that you are able to hand over the reins so that you can concentrate on developing yourself as a leader and your team. Was that fair enough? Exactly. That, that's uh, said much better than I said. And I think that is difficult <laughs> not, not, for people, to, for managers and leaders sure to let go of that direct patience. <laughs> for leaders and managers to let go of that direct patient intervention mm. is really difficult for, for a number of reasons. One, it's what people feel comfortable with. You know, it's what they do. It's their passion. They love getting involved yeah. um, with supporting their patients and their clients. Um, and it's very fulfilling. So stepping away from that is quite emotionally difficult anyway. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, in terms of building healthy relationships with your staff where you can let go, um, trust is a massive thing. And when you've, um, when you've got the CQC and all sorts of, uh, you know, um, requirements and targets and measurements uh, that you have to achieve and you really have to achieve them, uh, otherwise it, it really damages your business. Um, that's additional pressure, which makes it more emotionally difficult for leaders to let go and let their staff get on with the job instead of them doing it. Um, so I, I empathise um, but I, I, I sometimes think that it's the easiest thing to do is saying, I absolutely, I'm snowed under. I have no time, no room for my personal development yeah. to improve uh, myself or grow myself because it's easier to say that than actually try and make the time. But I remember a, a time uh, a while back. Oh, go on, go on. No, go on, because there's, there's that <laughs> slight delay where I, and then, and then, but you're about to tell a story and I'd rather hear that. <laughs> All right, so, so here's the story. So um, I, I was running uh, some well-being sessions a while back for a particular organisation and I really liked this programme. And um, one of the things that we talked about was giving yourself time for you, unashamedly, mm-hmm. um, because people... Uh, are, are codependent, particularly in the care sector. You know, you're doing things all the time for other people other than attending to yourself. And, and, you know, we know this sometimes in the care sector, we're the worst at looking after ourselves. Um, so I'd asked a, a, um, a group, I'd said, so uh, if I was to say to you, uh, have you got time to do 30 minutes of meditation, reading, swimming, whatever, you know, does it for you, for yourself, unashamedly, just for you? what would you say to me? And, and to a person, and there were 25 people or so in this group, they all said, no chance. I, there's no way I can give 30 minutes because I've got to clean the house, make my kids tea. I've got to come, you know, I've got to go to work. I've got to do this and that and everything, attending to everybody else other than themselves. So I told them this story about how I'd been delivering this session and, um, and uh, suddenly realized that actually I was probably as bad as everybody else at attending to my own needs. 
And I came home from uh, work one day and I, um, I said to my kids, I said, look, can I have just 15 minutes, 15 minutes to me? They said, what do you mean 15 minutes? I said, well, 10 minutes. Let's just make it 10 minutes. I just want 10 minutes. I need your help for 10 minutes. And they said, yeah, sure. Because if you ask people to help them, it's sort of natural. You want to help people. Yeah, sure, Dad. What, what do you want? And I said, I just want 10 minutes to myself. They said, okay, fine. And so I sat down in the, in the sitting room floor. And this is where they'd normally come home from work and they're from school and they'd watch telly and whatnot. And I just sat there, plonked myself down, cross-legged in the middle of the floor and took a deep breath and they looked at me and said and um, what are you doing and I said no 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 this is my 10 minutes I'm just doing 10 minutes of meditation and they said you know what here and I said yeah I said, this, where are we going to go and I said I don't mind I just need this space <laughs> anyway they went off grumbling and I did my 10 minutes of meditation the next day they came home from school again and um and I did the same thing I just sat down and they looked at me and went what you, you're doing that that meditating thing again. Yeah, 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 just 10 minutes, 10 minutes. I went, oh man, off they go. And I repeated this a couple of times more. And after two or three times, they just would come home and uh, they'd just look at me and go, that's fine. And they'd take themselves off. And the point is this, um, that when you're changing your own habits, because that's what it was, it was changing my own habits. Sometimes you are changing the habits of the people around you and you're asking them to do that. And people don't like change, they don't. Yeah. So as a leader, when, when you are, if you're going to ask your staff to do things that they're not used to doing or that they're used to you doing, then actually you might meet some resistance. And again, that's why leaders tend not to do it because they don't like the resistance or conflict. It's easier just, oh, well, I'll do it myself. Yeah. And all of this for me is about those codependent behaviors, that excessive need to be needed. Um, so anyway, and then once, you know, once you've done 10 minutes, you can push it out to 15, 20, 30, and it just becomes easier and easier. That's yeah, no, that's that's great. I, I think the, the the point there where you're you know sort of breaking your habits and breaking the habits of all the expectations of other people on you to to always be there and not to take any time for yourself is hugely important. Um, you mentioned about your time in the NHS, and I thought I wanted to, I wanted to touch on that very uh, just sort of quickly because obviously yeah. I, think, I mean I think you said uh, sort of maybe a little bit more than twenty years. Did you say so? So you've seen, you'd have seen a lot of change in the NHS um from oh, yes i must well, yeah it was 20 years ago and i was yeah. probably in the system for about 10 years and i and i absolutely loved it I, I really did and i still do love our nhs and i love the people who work in it and although i'm not working directly employed by the nhs i do a lot of consultancy um with it for for hospitals and, and other organizations so um, when, when, yeah. when you when you reflect on your sort of time in the nhs and when you first started you know, has there been a significant change? Yeah. You know, or you know, or how, or how does it compare now to when you started, sort of, twenty years ago? It was much more relaxed. I have to say, people. It's going to sound awful. People had a lot more fun. Yeah. You know, in their work, I think, and there was a lot more. Um, there's just a lot more space kind of, you know, time wise and not necessarily resource wise. It was still highly pressured. There's no question about that. It was still very, a, a very political organization. Yeah. I think 
now and even over the last five or six years that I've been working as a consultant for the NHS, I see that the pressure increasing and increasing and increasing. So, you, you know, you've got much higher um, uh, public expectation about what they deserve to have uh, delivered to them. Um, uh, so, um, and that then, of course, pulls on the resources and combined with that, you've got all sorts of targets around waiting times and treatment uh, options and so on uh, that trusts have to fulfil, which inevitably um, is a drain on resources, financial resources and otherwise. Uh, so I see, I see the, the pressure in the NHS hugely. I, I really do. And I've seen that increase. It just increases all the time. And it, it does interest me, you know, in, in the, the current times, you know, with, with the COVID crisis and so on. Um, uh, I've, I've been out on the ambulances um, uh, driving for them and uh, I've been amazed actually at how empty <laughs> hospitals seem to be. You know, it's um, obviously they're still working, they're still operating, yeah. but the car parks aren't full. And I don't think that's just because people aren't, you know, they, they've been saying no to various treatments. I think I, I genuinely believe it's because the public is suddenly sitting up and saying, hold on, actually, this is a really precious resource and I don't need to be, you know, going in for my cut finger or <laughs> whatever it is. Um, or maybe this pain can be sorted out at home just by taking an aspirin or, or to a yeah. paracetamol. So I think that there's more of a public awareness and appreciation of the role they play yeah. in um, preserving and being accountable for our N NHS. And I think the public has lost that accountability massively. Yeah. And then, of course, there's been austerity measures and, and you know, I, I don't like to talk politics and but whatever we say, it has been hard times for both social care and health care. There's no question about it. And that's across. Um, all, that's a, you that's know, a, yeah, go on, go on. That's that, across. That, but that's, that's a, a, to, just to sort of not make it political, but that's across um, sort of the time time of uh, sort of the Tories being in power and the, the years before, you know, sort of with uh, Labour. There's, you know, it's been a very absolutely. Long, it's been a very, very long time where social care. And, yes. Um, and the NHS have struggled. Yeah, I've yet to see in a par any party manifesto, regardless of which political persuasion it is, yeah. um, uh, you know, a claim that, right, what we're going to do is we're going to restrict this to the top 50 operations and uh, we're going to put up taxes so that you can get what you're currently demanding. Yeah. Um, that just doesn't make it into a manifesto because nobody would be voted in. So I, I agree. It's not, a, it's not a, any one political party. It's just affordability. Suddenly we can afford a load of stuff, it seems, and um, yeah. long may that reign. Um, but I think the public still need to remain accountable for their NHS. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's and that's that, that's I think one of the big changes that we've seen. Less less people, like you say, your, your experience from actually going to these hospitals re regularly um, with the ambulance service is seeing less less people there. And you know, maybe we can take the strain off of uh, our doctors and nurses just a little bit. You know, uh, I think hopefully it will. I think one of the big impacts, like, is sort of less drinking, uh, like publicly. I think that was that's been a huge um, sort of drain on society and hopefully that's not something that sort of rears its head when lockdown sort of um relaxes you know where people go a bit crazy and and, and stuff but you know but 
Um, but yeah, but there's there's a lot of pressure on on, on the I have, Yeah, I have a degree of cynicism, and I'll be honest with you, I have and. Um, call me Mr. Mopey, but <laughs> I think, you know, the, the same people who are currently clapping the NHS on a Thursday evening are going to be the same people who return to <laughs> abusing the NHS and not turning up to their appointments and costing us bits of pounds a year and, and whining about the service. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I know that's hugely cynical. One of the other points was uh, in terms of sort of the it, within the sort of the, the social care industry is I, I, I follow a lot of um, Facebook groups. Uh, uh, some of them are management groups and other ones are social care uh, or, or carer groups. Um, and, you know, they I, I see a lot of different talk in there. So you see a lot of care workers saying oh, managers don't understand how difficult it is for us and the challenges that we that we're facing. There's a lot of pressure. And in the next group, you know, sort of the manager group is, you know, sort of care managers saying, oh, you know, care staff at my team don't understand the challenges that I face as a manager. And, you know, you just, you can see there's loggerheads and it's, you know, you can see it in front of your eyes. It's, um, yeah. You know, and there's a serious lack of communication between those, which is, I think, really fracturing um, social care. I think, I think it really is having a, 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 an awful effect, which is reflected, I think, in the recruitment figures that I sort of mentioned. Um, yeah. What would you suggest to a care manager that wants to reach out to their team to try and bridge the gap? You know, I know it's a very general, um, you know, very general without specific ch challenges. But you know, what, how, how, what's the best way to resolve a, an issue if you, as a manager with your team? Well, I think it is. You, you touched on it. It's the communication app, but it's more than that. You know, if I go into any, pretty much of any sector of any size. Um, I will. I could ask anybody in that organisation at any level <laughs> um, how they feel about it, and everyone thinks that they're stuck in the middle. You know that um, that nobody understands them. The people above them don't understand them. The people below them don't understand them. And yeah. and 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 that goes from you know healthcare assistants all the way up to chief executives in an, in an NHS organisation. And for me, the key word is that understanding. Um, and understanding for me is about, it's about respect. It's the same thing in my book. So if you talk about respect, it's understanding the contribution that a person makes to the organization, to what you're trying to achieve. And I think when you're under massive amounts of pressure and when you're not able to communicate, what you're not able to do is stop and give people time to say to them, so it could be a leader to a manager to a to a member of staff, uh, or a manager to a member of staff, just to stop and say, do you know what? That was a great piece of work. You know what we're trying to achieve here, and that has really contributed to it because it's um, it's a fundamental human need to to be to want to feel valued by your community, by your society. So the communication for me absolutely essential and the communication has to be at every opportunity to show that mutual respect to stop and say i really value you i love what you did and that can be with you know simple one minute conversations around a coffee machine um you know that are sort of coaching based conversations they don't have to be heavy or anything like that um, and i think it's up to leaders to make that effort 
And once they do that, once you start demonstrating to people and communicating to your people that you value them, then actually they trust you because they know you understand what they're contributing. And then you, you're building trust, which goes hand in hand um, with respect. And uh, therefore, when you trust somebody, you can take com uh, shortcuts to communication. You know, you won't hold person an offender for a word or anything. You will take, uh, you can, you could, you know, I don't know, um, you could say, right, I need you to do that now or just do that now. And people won't be feel abused or upset because they know that you have taken the time to show that you value them, to build that trust, to support them um, and so on. And uh, so I guess the, the answer to that, that question um, about that lack of understanding or feeling that you're not understood that I do all this and my staff don't understand how difficult it is up here yeah. is to talk and show each other that self-respect and understanding and value. And I think one of the, like uh, the, one of the areas that you touched on there was sort of just valuing and, and, and for me, valuing is quite simple and, and you know, sort of, there's a, a very big feeling of sort of being unappreciated hence, hence the, one of the, hence one of the many, many reasons for the podcast, but the, um, but uh, <laughs> you know, but it's, it can be as simple as, you know, it's just reaching across and saying, you know, thank you for, you know, for the care that you gave this person for going uh, above and beyond, because I mean, like there is a high expectation for everyone in care. Of course, there is. Everyone deserves outstanding care, but and and still, people manage to to go above and beyond. So you know, it's just yeah. being, it's just be, being you know grateful to your team and 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 you know sort of rewarding them in in how they're treated. It's it's often it's often it's not about it's not always about money and it's not always about things. It's about just how you're treated as a professional. And um, and how you're appreciated, uh, mostly verbally. Absolutely, uh, and for me, it's as little as possible about the money. Mm. You know, if you pay people properly, uh, you know, a proper and fair wage, then actually uh, that that is above the living wage, and they can, you know, they can do what they need to do in order to survive at a, you know, at a more than basic level. Yeah. Then actually you don't need to throw money every time you need something changed. And I'd say that's a dangerous game to play. Um, for me, it's about, it's about the support that goes um, alongside, you know, the communication and the trust building, the respect that for me, those are the four cornerstones of great leadership, uh, trust, respect, communication, and support. And by support, I'm talking about helping people to feel an ownership of their performance rather than sort of saying you haven't performed well or you have performed well yeah. which is a very parental thing to do the questions around support are okay how have you done this week or um i heard that conversation you just had with the patient it looked fantastic how did you make them smile and really digging into that yeah. into the positive um behaviors and the positive performance and getting the person to own that and explain it and um, account for it um, as well as looking at stuff that hasn't gone well but it, it's uh, mute it's, it's the same thing it's um, you're as supportive in times when that are rough as well as times that are really great yeah. uh, and when you do that again it builds that sense of trust that people have of you as a leader so much so much value with just within that uh, for, to our sort of care managers uh, sort of listening but um, 
it can be a little bit more difficult um, in the same areas for you to approach the, somebody who's managing you. So, you know, so the care worker in that instance, who's not feeling that the, the manager understands you and the role that you're playing, or you feel frustrated maybe in how they how you have been spoken with. Maybe the manager is under a lot of pressure and can be quite, yeah. um, you know, abrupt or maybe just very direct in how they're sort of directing you. Uh, and how how would you suggest to a care worker that wanted to approach their manager, and you know how what would be the right way to approach the manager so that you you would have uh, a really you, so that you'd be able to resolve an issue? Yeah, and, you know, but it's more chat. I think it's more difficult, you know, sort of speaking to somebody who manages you in that situation. Isn't it? Always it is because um, you know historically in the care sector well, in most sectors, actually, you have a hierarchy and hierarchy, the higher up in the hierarchy you are, the more power you have, certainly in terms of decision making and, and problem solving and so on. Um, and, you know, the further you go back in history, the more authoritative or autocratic, generally speaking, um, that, uh, that management or hierarchy would have been. And I think, so, and there are still hang-ups from that. And, um, it's a difficult position to be in. I guess the, the phrase that I'd use is clinical supervision because that is supposed to happen. You know, it's a matter of course, and hopefully the CQC, you know, when they're uh, making their assessment of care homes or anywhere else um, in, the, in the care sector, uh, will be looking at, you know, for evidence of clinical supervision. So as a healthcare assistant or, um, you know, wanting to, seek recognition from their manager the first thing i'd do is i would i would be sitting down and thinking for myself about my performance and reflecting on my performance yeah. what have i done over the last week that i've really done well and i'm really proud of and how did i do it what did i do what conversations did i have with patients what words did i use what frame of mind was i in yeah. um, you know all those sorts of positive things that help a person reflect on what they've done well and equally what didn't go so well for me and why not? And what could I do differently? And what have I learned from that as well as what have I learned from the, the great stuff I'm doing? So arm yourself with an understanding of your performance. Because if you don't understand it, your manager's less likely to understand it, yeah? Once you've done that, I'd be going to my manager and saying, look, I would really appreciate 10 minutes of your time for some clinical supervision because I've been reflecting and I'd like to get your view. Yeah. And you lead that conversation as a, as a healthcare assistant yeah. with your manager. And in doing so, what you can do is say, well, this is my reflection. This is what I think I've been doing really well. What's your opinion? And this is what I don't think I've been doing really well. And what's your opinion on that? Because then what you're doing is you're giving, you're helping your manager to have that understanding, that respect for the value you're contributing. Sometimes, um, again, it's easier to just moan about a manager and moan about how you're being, you feel you're being treated other than, you know, rather than just doing something about it and being proactive and being professional. And, you know, the healthcare assistants that I've had the pleasure of working um, with and alongside in the past are highly professional people. Yeah. Um, so, and, and, and clinical supervision is part of that. I think there's one idea anyway yeah and it's, it, there is it's just uh, being accountable as well to, to your own actions and sort of you know rather than having that conversation away from the manager it's only it'll only be resolved 
by having a very uh, by having a professional conversation with your manager you know that's so you know yeah. so yeah but by addressing it directly and like you say arming yourself with information and having a, a very honest appraisal of yourself so that when you have that conversation you kind of know what is going to be said and you can sort of lead it you know so but um yeah, there, there, yeah. there's often a, a lot of competition in in care homes for promotion because uh, i actually think there's a lot of opportunity for uh, career progression in, in care but i think you know when you look at it very narrow-minded i think you can you can think um it, it's just into a senior role, into deputy leadership, and then management. You know, and that—that's—that's that's the. You know, I think there's a lot of other areas to explore. But, um, but with that in mind, you can sometimes get 30 people all applying for the same senior role. You know, trying to get that first step into the leadership rung. What would be your sort of top tips, if, if you like, on um, the, the sort of top tips on how to move to the next level? In terms of like, what can you? What could? What could? Uh, what could I be doing? To, as, a, as a care assistant to sort of gain some leadership skills before I apply for that job? Uh, again, reflect on your performance. Mm -hmm. And if it's leadership skills that um, are going to get you to the next level, then think about the leadership skills that you are currently using, because you will be, there's no question about it. Yeah. Have a look at the job description for the next level up and the person's specification and have a look what how that translates into um, uh, skills and knowledge and behaviors and attitude um, and then reflect on well what is it that I'm doing currently there's no question I worked with a bunch of um, healthcare assistants in a trust years ago uh, when I was heading up training and development and I put out a call I said look um, I've got some money to spend it wasn't a huge amount but I carved away five thousand pounds or something from the budget just to focus on healthcare assistance and their development and i'd really love it if you gave me some ideas and i was inundated with emails and i said well let's set up a meeting open meeting come along and uh, we'll talk about it so about 60 people turned up i reckon something like that and most of them were angry at how forgotten they'd been by the trust in terms of their development i said well okay well now here's your opportunity so we got over that and within a very short space of time, uh, it whittled down to about 15 core people yeah. who decided that they were going to um, firstly start chairing meetings. They, they invited me to come along, but they said, there's no point in you chairing it because this is part of our development anyway. And what business have you quite rightly chairing this? If it's for us, it's for us. Yeah. So they invited me along and I turned up to these meetings and then they carved out roles where they were um, going out and uh, getting uh, the opinions of you know their colleagues right across this huge trust what sort of development opportunities would they like and and, uh, and so on they set up a conference for healthcare assistants that they invited other people from different counties to attend um, they got high level speakers um, from uh, from NHS England or whoever it was I can't remember at the time but it was you know sort of uh, the the, um, the regional um, uh, and national I think departments in the NHS to come and ha to speak um, they started up a magazine written by healthcare assistants for healthcare assistants wow. um, which they distributed um, they uh, developed a, a, a development plan, a training plan, which is brilliant. Yeah. And um, uh, so 
Hold on, my daughter's just popped in and she's trying to be... <laughs> she's trying to be subtle and it's just thrown me. <laughs> okay, so, yes. Um, and they are... One of the things that I'd identified was that they should be able to cut toenails, which um, uh, um, podiatrists had been doing, you know, at a great expense. They said, well, you know, the only reason we're not allowed to do it is because of diabetic foot and, uh, you know, feet and, and, and the, the precautions you have to take around those. Yeah. So they went to the director of nursing who agreed to train them up in this element. So they were, then took this role on and were saving, you know, the trust a lot of money because of it. And, and what happened is they started upskilling and getting into NVQs and sort of more management type courses was that the echelons above them started going, well, hold on, these people are uh, below us, are upskilling. We better, you know, get our skates on and start upskilling as well. Otherwise, we're going to lose our jobs here. I mean, it wasn't <laughs> quite that dramatic. But they kind of created this wave of, of attention to personal development throughout the organisation. Now, if that isn't leadership, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what is. Yeah. You don't, it doesn't matter. Leadership for me is not about the positional power you hold. Absolutely not. It's about how you influence people and anybody can influence other people. No question about it. Absolutely. Well, that's a great point. Um, yeah, no. Um, thank you, Bidge, for taking the time um, to do this. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I, I, I know sort of anyone listening will have got a lot of value out of, out of that. Um, I, I, uh, anyone who's listened, uh, well, obviously they that have heard earlier on, but um, sort of through being an on-call firefighter, you're sort of supporting the ambulance service um, just now as part of the sort of COVID-19 yeah. response. So thank you very much for everything that you're doing there and um, su su supporting us all like that. And um, so where can we find you online? Uh, Gru.com, Golf Gru Romeo, yeah, Golf Romeo, India Echo Whiskey.com. Uh, that's my website, www. And um, uh, uh, yeah, you can you can find me there. Love to chat to anybody about leadership. You won't be able to stop me, or for that matter, any aspect of those relationship-based type um, issues that you'll be having, whether it's leadership or team working or personal development and, and so on. Um, yeah, love love to have a chat. That's great. Thanks again, Vidge. Keep safe. Thank you ever so much for asking me. It's been fun. So that was Vidge Guru there, and I hope you really enjoyed that, and I hope there was lots for you to take away. With the, as, a, as a care worker aspiring to get into leadership and management, or whether you're currently there and sort of um, finding some challenges and finding it difficult to find to make that time, and I think he makes some really, really valid points, especially around being accountable and making making yourself available to to personal development or professional development and make and taking ownership of that and making time yourself. So, yeah, really positive points there and also trusting your team and really making sure that, you know, you're not taking all of the work because you don't trust anyone else to do it. It's fine to you know to trust your team to do that they're they're going to be capable and if they're not right now then if we show them today they will be tomorrow and we're going to have that time so yeah hopefully you took loads of value away from that i know i did and yeah i look forward to speaking again next week